And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Before we begin, I just want to say that we are currently in the process of smashing our all-time listenership record. We did it last month, and I cannot believe how many more people are coming on so record number of people listening to the show. Thank you so much for sharing and for telling people about it. I mean, I think I think our listenership is going to be up by 250% this year alone. So it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Tonight, our featured guest is going to focus on intuition and how to grow your intuition. And I don't know about you, but lately, I feel I've been getting more sensitive. I can pick up on things that I hadn't before. I don't know if it's because of the changing times or because my uh, my son is here. But either way, I think that intuition and learning how to harness it is going to be a tremendous asset. It can be a tremendous asset. I mean, it's one thing to look at body language. It's another thing to psychologically observe someone. But when you focus on that gut feeling, you focus on what is te- your heart's telling you, I think it opens up a lot of amazing doors. Let us begin tonight's show. It is a great pleasure to welcome to our show... Cindy Dale. She's an internationally renowned author, speaker, healer, and business consultant. She's also the author of 27 books about energy medicine, intuition, and spirituality. She's worked with over 70,000 clients. I don't think, I I think I've eaten about 70,000 Doritos today, but she's worked with 70,000 clients. No real reason for that comparison, but I just wanted to say what was on my mind. But that's pretty amazing. You can learn more about Cindy by going to your website at cindydale.com. That's C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-L-E.com. Estelle, welcome to our show. It's great to be here. Say, we should have a competition sometime for Dorito eating. Well, there isn't a better food than that. I don't know. It's I think it's I think it's celestial, but it, or it could be to the dark side because you feel good when you have it, and then you get on the scale, and the scale needs a chiropractor. I don't know what's going on, but um, yeah, it doesn't. The good feeling doesn't <laughs> last long. Kind of like a lot of good things in life. Yeah. So, as, speaking of good things in life not lasting, as somebody who expert on intuition, what are you feeling is happening right now? collectively speaking, with human beings. Do you think that, uh, you know, we see like human beings look outside and they say like, well, the world's chaotic. I mean, are, are the animal kingdom, are they fine? Is the, is the earth fine? Are, are humans the only species on the planet right now that's kind of, seems like they're going through a chaotic period of emotions? Well, we need to go through chaos is my sense of it. There's a, I'm going to answer by describing a set of books that were out decades ago. A, a number of young adult books written by Susan Cooper. They're set in Wales, and the lead book is The Dark is Rising. And so I think that's what's happening. The dark is rising. But the storyline in the book says when the dark rises, so does the light. 
And I think we're trying to see if we can just maybe finally, after four or five ages, says the Hindu and the Greeks and other cultures, maybe we can just get more light than darkness. I think that's the backdrop, Ryan, of what we're trying to do. And I think people have to individually like dig inside and bring up their light and figure out how they're going to be of use, how they're going to shine, how they're going to help not just themselves, but I mean, look at the climate, look at the politics, look at racial uprisings. There needs to be an uprising. So out of chaos can come really great things. I'm just hoping we're up to it as a species. I also wonder if out of chaos also comes more clamping down on individual liberty and freedom. And I'm wondering if you look and you sense about the driving forces behind what is happening in the world, do you sense that the underlying theme, the underlying driving force is one of control or one of liberty? Do you sense that human beings for the most part are in control of their destiny, that we are moving towards a wonderful, more profound place, or that we are being trained to be fear-based, which I imagine if you are fear-based, you are not in your spiritual best state because you are going with what the body is doing. Is the body always has that control mechanism to stay alive. And I wonder if human beings are being triggered to stay within that fear state and not you know, embrace the soul and spirit within. I'm just curious how you see that, what your thoughts are. Well, I think ultimately, at least at this moment, the driving force is more negative. I think it's more dark. I think there's a push for control. I can't even point to, well, I can point to some in politics, you know, and say there's a symptom. You know, there's there's somebody who's displaying that. Uh, but I think that there's like areas in the world that have been not just through po politics or race, you know, starting to uprise and starting to say, wait, we are independent thinkers. We do you know, illuminate like what John Locke uh, was writing about that helped form the Constitution. You know, we we have a birthright of liberty, of access to property, of access to, you know, kind of living the way we're supposed to do unless it harms self or others. That's sort of what's behind in America, the Constitution or one of the founding thinkers. And but but I do think it's sort of like we're being herded. And I'm not talking about yeah, wear a mask or don't wear a mask. That is not the issue. I think we get lost on these pegs that don't hold the real issue. It's sort of like, what are we? Who are we? Are we divine beings or not? And if we are, are we going to afford this sort of openness? Are we going to afford respect to each other? Or are we just going to kind of keep bashing each other on the head? Which is frankly, I mean, sounds like you sort of might see it the same way, what I think we're doing right now. I don't know. I I try to see the world. I try to see things in, in a wider perspective. I was just talking to someone about this earlier today, and say that I guess the wider you can possibly go, at least from my perspective, I love trying to go wide and see things from wider, so I don't get caught and pigeonholed in a certain perspective. And I wonder if people are just kind of getting locked into a limited perception because of a limited perception, they they forget or they don't realize, you know, how much greater things can be. You talk about, I think it was in your bio, that you help people to open up their essential energy, the powers and perspectives unique to them. How does a person access their essential energy? And what is that? Is it being blocked? 
and what is uh, and how do you know if you're utilizing your full potential with the essential energy? Those are great questions. Well, I think some people it's a take your yeah, it's a new thought to them to even think that they are an essence that might be separate from a religious order, separate from their job, separate from how they're described on the census or on a piece of paper or whatever. Um, because my, I've always, ever since I was a little girl, I see people as these beautiful expressions of light or color. I'm real visual, psychically visual, and I can see colors coming off people that aren't so good that sort of mirror what they're struggling with, their blocks, their their emotions that they can't get through, their resentment, um, their desires that are twisted or distorted. But also underneath all of that, I've always been able to see coming from people from inside of them, different energies, different colors, different types and beams of light, whether they're polka dotted or pink or doesn't make any difference, that I've always determined is like who they really are. And if you take away the body, if you take away all the masks that we wear, I mean, we're really just these beautiful orbs or points of, you know, points of light that are able to blend into each other without losing our individuality. That's the bigger picture of how I see us. But what gets in the way when we don't believe that, when we've been told that we're supposed to be embarrassed about ourselves, when we're distorted, when we're maimed emotionally, people don't operate as those orbs. Rather, they're these sort of blurs of shadows or darker shades of colors that don't share, that don't speak to who they are. And when we've got those kind of blocks, and that's just the way I see it intuitively, then we're really vulnerable to negative messaging, to shame, to you better do this or you're not a good person, or you better follow this party line, literally, and or you're going to be done in, or you're not going to be able to pay your bills or this or that. So I, we have so much potential and possibility. We always have. Um but honestly, it, it, you know, it's sort of hard to always get people to see that. When I work with people, I help them feel that on the inside. I help them access their intuitive faculties, their ways of knowing who they are through uh, empathy, through uh, psychic vision, through verbalization, through ways of knowing well, you know to what? go beyond. I would just senses. like to pause right there. Can you please elaborate a little bit more on what some of the, how, how they can increase their intuition, like elaborate more on empathy and elaborate more on some of the exercises that people can do to increase their intuition? Oh, absolutely. And I'd first tell people they're already intuitive, even if they don't know it. I think even a cinder block is intuitive because everything's made out of subtle energy. There's in an object, 99.999% of all energy is the invisible stuff. And that's the subtle, that's the, that's the psychic, that's the stuff that we're really gauging ourselves with and measuring others by, even if we don't know it. So I usually start by informing people there's four basic types of intuition. So see which one they relate to more. There's two types of empathy, which is how we know things through our body. There's physical and when you're physically intuitive, you can sense what's happening in somebody else or in the world as sensations in your body. 
Uh, or you can also sense emotions. Like everybody constantly feels other people's feelings. And so that's a form of physical empathy. Then there's spiritual empathy where you just know stuff. You get a consciousness, an awareness, uh, a, a sense of what's right versus what's not so right. So that's its own form of intuition. And then some people are very verbally intuitive. And so they get messages that pop in their head like words or maybe a song or they open their mouth and all this fantastic stream of information comes out. Or maybe you're just going through your day and the radio pops on even by itself and it gives you a message. And then there's visual intuition, which allows you to get pictures inside of your mind or when you're dreaming or really maybe able to pay attention to literally the signs in the world, like a billboard. Years and years ago, my son and I, when he was younger, knew that we had to buy this one puppy that was being sold. I'm in Minneapolis in Pennsylvania because it was a reincarnation of the same dog we'd had that had died three years before because we got all these signs. We kept seeing billboards with the dog. The puppy's name was Tank. Uh, and when he was alive before, his name was Honey. So lots of honeys in my life. Um, but everywhere we went, we saw billboards with tanks on them, Sherman tanks, G.I. Joe tanks. And then Amazon delivered raw honey to my house, and I had never ordered it. And on and on went the signs that said, you better buy this puppy Tank because he's honey coming back. <laughs> so if we're aware of these different styles, we can sort of groove into one or two or all of them and start playing with it, start practicing, start paying some attention and following up on what it is that we're hearing, seeing, knowing, feeling, like count it as real because it's real. Awesome. And when you say that you're able to sense the energy within an individual, I do wonder about this. A person is the spirit and they are occupying that body and that body is accumulating memories, experiences, emotions that are positive and negative, yet they are only experiences that that person can consciously remember as a human being, having a human experience. They don't, maybe that most people I don't think have access to the previous life incarnations that they've had or they don't have a remembrance of where they're from. Some people do, but I think most people just come into here and all they know is life as a human being. So when you are sensing, you're seeing different energies appearing in a person's spiritual field, I'm wondering why is that occurring within their spirit? Why is their spirit being or changing uh, colors or having any type of different essence or variance when the spirit has always been eternity, when a spirit is infinite, when it is only the human experience or the spirit living through the human that is experiencing a change or variance in terms of how it perceives reality. So I'm just curious as to why the R would be changing, what the significance of that is. Is your perception more or less looking at the short or long-term impact of the emotions that the person has experienced are you looking and seeing the short and long-term implications of some of the choices that person has made and where they are heading in that human form? Or, let's, let's, I'm sorry, I know this is like a 10-part question, but is it also 
that the person's experience as a human is quite significant and quite relevant to the higher self of the spirit and that body to that's overall evolution like if you have a positive or a negative negative experience as a human being that it does change the overall trajectory of the totality of your overall evolution so when i was a kid i'm going to go back there i could always perceive their essence the spirit of them which, like you're saying, Ryan, is their eternal, immortal self. And that, in my perspective, that self inside of somebody and around them, like it's much bigger than the human body. It, it spreads, you know, kind of across the vast universe. And I think there's a pre-universe, you know, that came before the Big Bang. There's actually evidence of it in our universe. So that that those colors, you know, those that template, that that kind of swirl of energy, I think, is always consistent. And in and through the human experiences and other types of lifetimes of experiences, I believe the spirit isn't changing kind of I don't think it can change in a negative way. I really don't. I think, though, that the experience of love and having to choose between what is loving and not loving can feed into the spirit and add depth and contrast and texture. But I actually have to throw another uh, term in here because I believe that our spirit is sort of like an extension of the source. Think of the sun. Here's streams of energy coming off. Our spirit is this wonderful spark at the end of that kind of often exploring. I think of the soul as sort of a slowed down part of our spirit. It's a little more dense and it's sort of the traveling vehicle so spirit can have experiences and can feel, can sense, can know, can determine what is loving and what's not and how to express spiritual essence in form. And then the soul, as well as the spirit, I think, enters the body, preconception and during conception and after conception. So I think we almost have two sets of experiences going on. We have our spirit, which is immortal, which knows it's always connected to source. We have the soul, which is immortal in its own way, but is along the way gathered experiences of darkness and light. People sometimes say karma, right? Like, like lessons still to be learned about love and dharma, which are which is knowledge already gained about love. So there has to be something really important with gaining experiences that are maybe even can be termed harmful versus beneficial for the spirit to get depth. I mean, what, what good is knowing everything about love unless you can get a sense of what's not love? There's, we, have to, we add layers like compassion and empathy and care and concern and uh, maybe even sacrifice to the spirit because we're going through experiences as a human being. So when I read the aura, right, versus the spirit of the person, which I see more in them, uh, when I read the aura or the energies coming off of them, that's when I'm seeing more of how they're doing on a daily basis, where their bigger blocks are, where they're disconnected from good places or disconnected from higher beliefs or where they have feelings that are stuck in there that they're wrapped up in that aren't leading them to place to to be informed about love but are leading them you know kind of into fear or the opposite so i think when you look at a person you can 
or visualize or sense into them or get information about them, you, you can go through all those tapestries. Who are they really on the inside? How are they processing that? What decisions are they making based on kind of lower end processing versus higher end processing? really appreciate that answer. And when it comes to the chakras, what role do they have in your quality of life, in your intuition, in your ability for your body to self-heal, in your ability to manifest or change your reality? What do they role do they play? And also, what are some of the things that a, a person can do to strengthen your chakras? Well, I think chakras are key. And I think uh, mystics going back in time have felt the same way. So chakras are subtle energy organs. As such, I believe there's chakras in the body and around the body. They each function on a band of energy or a set of frequencies, and they bring in information, physical and subtle, on the band that they operate on. They work with the brain and the mind and the soul to interpret that information, and they send out uh, information on that same band. But what's really interesting and important about chakras is they're able to change physical, hardcore, knock-on-wood energy into subtle energy, the invisible stuff, and vice versa. So think about that. Let's say you have a tumor uh, in your abdomen. Conceivably, the chakra in that center, or even a different one, but the one that's most located to that, holds the memories of how that tumor came to be. Hold other people's energies that have influenced you to developing that tumor. Maybe hold, because that's an emotional chakra, your feelings that could be tapped to help heal from the tumor or the feelings that are stuck that led to the congestion that created the tumor. But the bottom line is through that chakra, if you work it, if you with all honesty, you know, come at it, you know, kind of with sincerity, it could literally turn the physicality of that tumor into visible energy and evaporate it. A chakra can also make something that's insubstantial and make it tangible also. So I think chakras are absolutely key to to being alive, like in human formatting, right? Like we're formatted to be humans. And in the, in the, you know, kind of the most reduced way of understanding what it means to be a human, like we feel really stuck. We think physicality is all that it is, but chakras are like, wait a minute, 99.999% of reality is invisible. So start moving the energy from one side of the page to the other and get in charge of your life. So it's, I don't even think it's that hard, Ryan, to get acquainted with your chakras. I mean, you can Google just about, you can put in the word chakra, you can put in seven chakras. I work with 12 chakras. I don't care how many you work with. Like, get a diagram. did that too. He worked with 12. Yeah, I work with 12. Yeah. And I know some people who work with Atlantean chakra systems and some with, um, you know, Mayan chakra systems. I have a, I wrote a 1200 page book. That's a really big book. Wow. Wow. I know. Isn't that impressive? That's, that, I don't I, know if I'll impressive. ever read it again. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like big. I can hardly carry it. <laughs> but the the second half of the book are chakra systems from around the world. So pick your pleasure. 
learn the basics of a chakra system, learn where the chakras are, what color they are, what part of the body, maybe five things each chakra can do and become your own personal chakra expert. Go, oh, I have a pain in my knee. What does that relate to? Which chakra? Hmm, what might be the emotions? What might be the beliefs? Uh, How can I open to energy to clear that or bring in what I need? That's sort of all you need to do the mystery of the chakras. That's it, basically. I'm this big-time chakra person, and I'm sort of like, keep it simple. (laughs) I I keep it simple when I'm working with my own. I like it super simple. Which chakra, what needs to leave, what needs to be brought in or activated, and go from there. Okay. Now, what if you decide that you want to choose the Atlantean chakra system. Does that does that affect your chakras? I mean, I'm just curious. Like, Is there a uh, disconnect between what your body and what your human experience or chosen path as a human has come to accept this truth about what the chakras are or about what your predestined knowledge of truths are as a human are? How does that compare, contrast, or even conflict with what you become aware of? If you develop a sense of awareness, you become more awakened in this reality as a human, become more in tune and reconnecting with your spirituality, and you decide you want to shift systems, is there going to be a conflict there? Is your body going to say some sort of level? No, I don't do that. I have never been able to talk about this on air. I am so excited about this. I'm going to quote a mentor. His name is Dr. Grant McFedrich. He has written books I barely understand. He was a NASA scientist, and he is like a supreme expert on energy and consciousness and this and that. His theory is that when we're conceived, we basically take on our mother's imprint of a chakra system. And he thinks we get like two chakra you know, downloads from dad. But then when we're developing in the womb, we basically model after our mother's chakra system. And so conceivably, like if you are Mayan, maybe your chakra system is a little different. Right now, you know, we've mixed culture so much, which is beautiful, that I don't think when you know, somebody looks at their chakra system, they even have the capacity to say, do I have seven chakras or do I have 23? Am I, do I have the Cherokee, the extra Cherokee chakra that's, you know, kind of around the medulla oblongata area? Um, And so to some extent, I, once people learn the basics of the seven Hindu chakras or Cindy Dale's 12 or somebody else's 10 or whatever, I think then it's incumbent on us If we want to, to get a little experiential and experimental and say, okay, so what's the ideal for my chakra system? For instance, I've worked with clients who, who, when they say things to me like, I've never fit in, I don't belong in my family, I don't belong on earth, you know what, I kind of believe them. (laughs) I'm like, so what planet did you originally come from? Did you get, did you get lost down here? Or are you still affiliated with a culture from 5,000 years ago? So your soul, a person's soul could have brought in a slightly different, differently engineered chakra system than the one they got from their mom or the one that we're studying in yoga. Right? So, 
like go inside, find out how your chakras are supposed to be. Like start tuning into the chakra system that might best represent your soul or your highest soul or your spirit or who you are. I've had chak- I've had clients go through a huge healing, then they call me up and they go, "You know what? My first chakra, which in your book, Cindy, okay, I'm guilty of this, say, you know, are red and mine's green and it's and it's up in my throat." And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're off the books. You're out of the systems. You're turning into who you really are. So a system is only as good as it leads us to our originality and our independence and our self-development. This is really exciting for me to be able to talk about this. Oh, I'm glad you're able to talk about it. This is the platform. I mean, we're just curious. We're insatiable curiosity. And a lot of people that listen to our show, uh, Stuart Wilde coined the phrase fringe dweller many years ago, and I consider myself one, and I know a lot of people do as well. They just feel like they're here, but they never felt like they belong here. I just, I kind of feel like I'm just passing through, like I'm playing through golf, and now because my son is here, like I'm, I'm definitely going to stick around, and I, I definitely have a commitment to being here, and I don't even know if he's from here, so I don't know. But is there a certain chakra system that is associated with fringe dwellers or people that are not part of the system, people who you probably can sense don't like, don't actually come from here. Cause I'm wondering if you said there could be a number of things, but is there, in your experience, is there, is there something like two chakra systems that are pretty common with people that uh, are not really from here? Yeah. And I think that's why this Dr. Mephedrich said that maybe dad passes in two chakras, but it doesn't mean necessarily that that's dad. I do believe in other, either alternative realities in other planets, other constellations, the chakra systems tend to be more simple. Um, my sense, for instance, of the origin origination of Atlantis is in the Pleiades. I think whatever we've done down here with what we call Lemuria, which is sort of a peaceful agrarian way of living and Atlantean, which uses higher energy, scalar energies, um, you know, mercury properties and this and that. I think all of that came from the Pleiades. And I think the, the, uh, the predecessors of the Lemurian cultures in the Pleiadian planetary systems only use two or three chakras. The Hopis, for instance, who were very Lemurian, and of course they were on this planet, only talked about five chakras. So the closer we are to living truthfully, more naturally, in concert, you know, kind of out of places of love, I mean, in a way, you probably only need three chakras. There's physical, right? Like the Dantian in a whole Taoistic system. There's the more base chakras, so you can be physical. There's the psychological, you know, kind of in the middle of the system, so you can do emotions and feelings. And there's the spiritual one, so you can touch the stars. So I think the fewer chakras that are most native to us, probably, this is a judgmental word, but probably the more advanced the soul and the more knowledgeable it is that we're here to be in communion. Now, the Atlantean system I'm acquainted with, and I think the Atlanteans were post-Lemurian, first anyway, in the Pleiadians. They were, once they got into being really kingmakers, right, like the holders of power that started competing for power, I think their chakras split and they developed additional chakras because you want more precise control. If you want more control of others, 
and over energetics and you don't want to live in flow as much, you're going to need more chakras. So there's more for you to be doing. And so that's my particular theory. I think if you study, and I've never quite channeled this through, but if you look like the, at like Arturians versus, um, you know, kind of the, um, you know, Orion. Arturians, those are the people. I don't know. Like, uh, my friend Joyce, she's like, you're from like, you're Arcturian. I'm like, I don't know what they are. I was going to say are. that to you too. I, I think you are too. What is I it? thought I, your son was too. He is. He's from Arcturian. <laughs> Cause is is it the um are they very passionate about blue because blue is my favorite color I I, I just don't know yeah. I have this like, incredible fascination with blue yeah I don't know I, I oh just, yeah I I looked at your son and I thought oh he's a little Arcturian but of course you just don't offer that when people don't ask yeah, I'm open to receiving <laughs> all different types of information I always well, tell people on the show that my spirit guides they give me a silent treatment all the time I ask for guidance. And I cricket. It's like, come on, what am I? What are we going back to the era when I used to do stand up comedy? Because I used to do stand up comedy. And I used to go up there and I would tell jokes and there'd be like no responses. And I'm like, oh, geez. I'm like, flashback to that. But uh, oh, that's cool. I'm going to call him the little Arcturian. Well, I think he's a little Arcturian. And Arcturians are very wise and smart and extraordinarily evolved. And I'm not just, you know, kind of, you know, trying to. Um, they're blue. There's a lot of blue. They're transcendent. I think they're here about kind of to help us get into the right architecture of our soul and back into the divine blueprint. But I have a funny story for you around that. So um, maybe about a year or two ago, a client who I've worked with several times, she's a mom, she brought her son in to see me. And I'm sitting across from this 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, and he won't talk. But, you know, a lot of kids that age don't talk, and it's fine. And she said, do you want to tell her? Do you want to ask her your question? And he's like, no. And she just looked at me and she said, well, just like tune in and see what you get. And I looked at him and I could see this little blue being around him, this this girl who was blue. And I said, well, I think there's a blue being who shows up for, for you uh, frequently. And he looked at his mother and goes, you told her. And she said, no, I didn't say anything to Cindy. <laughs> uh, well, he started getting a visit visits from these blue beings. And one in particular was this blue girl. It's hard to describe in human terms, you know, kind of like what she so-called looked like, you know, kind of a different, you know, kind of head, not really Vulcan-like, but, you know, I did all the Star Trek kind of stuff. And she, she was super cool, like a, you know, like, like a very high, smart blue being from obviously a different planet or, or system. And he said she started appearing when he went to movies. She would just come and sit next to him at the movies and talk to him. And he then had this dream where the blue girl was in it and other colors of children from other places. They didn't all look humanoid. Some were kind of blocky or blobby and this and that and the other thing. And he said that they were... Um, pushing away the darkness that was on the earth and they were they all had their own instruments or on their their own ways to push away the darkness and they finally shared this big crystal amongst them i don't know where it appeared from dropped from the sky came up from the earth and they were standing around the crystal and re-energizing themselves with this crystal so they could go and share this just beautiful kind of crystal light and he looked at me like now what are you going to say to me about how odd I am. And I said, well, you know, you're an X-Men. You're all X-Men. Thank goodness That's we have so you. That's so cool. You're an X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm an X-Men. He's a total science geek. He's going to invent something really cool and science-like that I said I thought it was going to do something for the climate. So thank goodness we have people like you and your son and, you know, whoever is coming from other places. We sure need to help right now, don't you think? I agree. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just, you know, I'm some guy just asking questions. And my son, is, is, he's, I don't know, he's, way, he's smarter than me. I know he's smarter than me. I, I just, I look at him. And he looks at me, and I just say, look, I know you're very smart. Just please put Daddy in a good home. That's all I ask. (laughs) Put Daddy in a good home. But I tell him every day, I said, you know, just remember, too, you are an infinite spirit. You are. This is a body. My wife's always, she she, she actually reprimands me quite a number of times. She goes, please stop asking our three-month-old son where he was in a past life. He does not remember. He can't even talk, and you're asking him about his past lives. And like, how are you going to know? See, like, if he moves, you're going to like figure out. I asked him, I go, "Are you Jesus? Are you Buddha?" And she's like, "Why don't you read him a story?" I'm like, "I can't help it. I'm curious." So I don't. You're I, you're trying to help him keep the memories alive. I want him. Yeah, what, I want to remember. Want when to my memory. youngest was three and a half or so, he looked at me and he said, "Do you remember that time I was the big brother and you were the little sister?" And then he sighed, and he goes, I had to carry you everywhere, and you were really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so cool. That's true. So we need to reawaken. I mean, it's not just the Dalai Lama, you know, who said to come back with intact knowledge and wisdom. We have it in us. We have our memories in us. We have knowledge in us. We have what we were originally gifted from the source to recreate, you know, to do more with. It's all inside of us because it's in our spirit. It's in our soul. And that to me means that it's in our body. But we also have to get in touch enough with our body so what we bring in can open up. Like I'm not anti-body. I actually think it's about materializing who we are here and now so that the body's you know, memory banks, which are mainly actually in the uh, the chakras and the connective tissue, can actually be strong enough and light enough and elastic enough to let our memories come alive inside of us. And we don't want to do that too quick. You know, if somebody's 65 years old, they haven't done any of this, well, maybe it'll open really quickly, but it's also okay to just open up a little bit at a time, you know, so the body can adjust too. Oh. I, I tell you, based on what you're saying, I want to go. I want to open everything up full force. I just I can't just open up a little bit. Just like I can't eat one or two Doritos and just have one. I gotta you know I gotta have <laughs> them all. Seventy thousand. <laughs> you know, the thing, Cindy, I'm getting taken from our interview together, is that I feel like, you know, if you look at life like a video game, all these things you're t- teaching us, they're, they're power ups. You know, you should be able to have access if you can look and find power ups to power up your own experience. You should have an advantage or enjoy life, you know, it's all you want. People can go about their life and, and not access this information or not access these techniques, but I think if you can, it'd be wonderful. You wrote a book called Energy Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Chronic Illness. And I want to ask, if you came into this lifetime specifically to become an expert or study trauma, stress, and chronic illness, and you make every effort possible to heal that, to overcome that, could there be a chance that you're actually negating 
or causing damage to the very mission for which you came here to experience. Like if you came here to experience trauma and you're trying to heal it, and doesn't that go against what you were supposed to come in here for? Could you potentially set yourself up for another life incarnation where you have to experience that trauma in full force? Like maybe you're not supposed to heal this. Maybe you're supposed to suffer. Because there's some things that I've gone through. I know some people other things have gone through. You don't know why it happened, but it happened. And maybe that was part of the reason why you specifically came here for it. Well, I, okay, let me talk about that. First of all, we do drag trauma from one lifetime to another. Every soul does it. It's sort of like carrying this bag, you know, carrying in the baggage, carrying in the wound. When our brother knifed us, when our friend uh, cheated, you know, with our husband or wife or this or that, we bring it in. I think the soul has the mistaken belief that if we recreate that trauma, or go through more trauma or new trauma, somehow we're going to work through the trauma. Does that make any sense? And I don't think we necessarily work through trauma by going through it over and over and over again. I, I think the goal is really to get to a point where we can say, like you're saying, look, this is what happened, and now I want to get expanded enough or spread out enough, or understanding enough, or loving enough, or compassionate enough, or joyful enough, or whatever the word might be for each particular person, that those those areas of trauma, which are really areas of congestion and injury or hurt, just sort of blend in to the greater self that we are, and they become more like, um, you know, like, 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 you know, roses on the tapestry or roses on the cake or wherever we're looking, you know, then these places that we keep getting stuck. One, one interesting, and this is kind of practical, one interesting technique I've been using more and more often with people who are very traumatized and have this really old stuff. First of all, I never negate it. It's real. It's their experience. If you've been stuck in trauma from a, you know, what that happened when you were two years old or 10 years old or a year ago or because of the pandemic or 500 years ago, it's very real when you're in it. So I never shame anybody, including myself, you know, for having this to work through. But, and what I found is that I can help the person or myself get into what's typically called the gamma brain wave. I really, think of it more as a state. Uh, we measure brain waves in terms of cycles per second or hertzians. I love but you're going you with help, <laughs> Yeah, if you can help the person get into gamma all the way through their body, all right, they're now sort of ver- vertically ascended in a more transcendent kind of a state, but they're also really connected to the body. So they can feel the trauma, but be in an expanded state at the same time. Underneath the subconscious is a whole realm of energy. I've usually called it the subluminal. It's faster than the speed of light, but it contains the codes of density that are beautiful, that are, that are healing, that, that allow transcendent awareness. And way above the consciousness, at the, sort of the top end of where gamma can get you, is the superluminal which is this expanded reality that contains sort of like God knowledge, right? So if a person can extend through those states, I have found that trauma almost always instantly heals because 
there's enough awareness that we don't negate what's painful or hard. We don't negate the suffering, but it, it sort of transforms into something that we can go, oh, I get it, whatever that get it is. I've had several clients have this experience more lately. So I like to share these things because I'm certainly not, you know, kind of in charge of any of this. Um, they usually walk around for three or four days, like without any thoughts at all, <laughs> without knowing what's going on. And then they're like, wow, I'm not in pain anymore. Or maybe I still have the cancer, but it doesn't really matter. That's not how I'm defining myself. So I thought I'd just share that for whoever, you know, can kind of, help get into that state for themselves or ask a guide to get you there. That's to me, what we're trying to do is not negate, but expand. Okay. I appreciate what you said about the brainwaves because we recently did a show about brainwave frequencies and I love, you know, utilizing that. One of my old teachers, Stuart Wilde, just talk about doing theta metronomes and listening to that and then going into Delta. I've experimented where I've, put myself in a delta, listened to delta brainwaves and stared in a mirror I've been trying to seek out. And I guess I'm going to ask a, a question that I've asked uh, some other guests previously, but nonetheless, I'm still trying to figure it out, is why is it that some people have the capability of seeing, of feeling, of hearing, they're able to access this information, and others are not. So some people they have they feel things or they hear it and some people even have enhanced perception but even if you're completely open to this and you're very passionate about it, why does it not appear why do you do you not get the same type of access that an individual like you will like somebody like you who can visually see things why is there what it's holding back and what can you do if there's anything you can do to reverse that so you can actually start getting congruent and consistent messages so I think there's two answers. One uh, gives, uh, provides us less flexibility in changing what's happening. One answer is according to what you want to experience in this lifetime, which I believe we make some decisions about in an area. I just call it the white zone. A lot of stuff gets screwed up you know, while we're writing our contract in between the writing of the contract and the getting here, okay, also. So it's not like it's fixed in stone. Um, you know, but some people come in and they might just in their soul be saying, you know what, I want to just experience 3D. I've been a llama before. I've been a Tibetan monk. I've been a this. I've been a that. I've been a star, whatever I've been. I just need to do the 3D. So I think you can rewrite that script, but that might be one of your preconditions that you thought would be super cool before you came in. And then you're going, okay, we need to rewrite that. So I think you can rewrite it. You can How do you go do that? into them. Yeah. So, you so. can rewrite anything. I mean, given, you know, just normal, you know, kind of confines. So I sometimes do take people into a meditative state, have them be back in or re-remember some of their original agreements and look at the writing, look at the, you know, lining or have, you know, help in determining that and just say, Maybe I want that to be different now. There was a study by Dr. Joel Winton decades ago. He took people who had challenging and terminal conditions. He regressed them to this state. I call it the white zone, actually, because of him, Dr. Winton, white zone, whatever you want to say. Um, and he had them recollect 
why they might have agreed if they did to have these conditions. Most of the individuals did say, hey, I, I set this up for a reason. And when he gave them the option of changing their agreement, most of them did not rewrite their agreement. They said, now that I have an understanding of it, I'm going to stick with it. Those who decided to change the writing on the wall, guess what? Their conditions disappeared. So that's one of the reasons, you know, that we may have limitations. And I would say, see if you want to rewrite that. The second reason is, you know what? A lot of, you know, when we're raised, we are in tribal communities. We're raised by a family, a family system that passes rules into our energy field, into what they call the epigenetic material. It's the ancestor codes around the genes, rules into us that give us very little wiggle room. And if an aunt, you know, was made fun of for being psychic, a generation ago, maybe there's an invisible set of rules that come from her, which says, don't be psychic, you're going to be made fun of, or somebody was burned at the altar, or you were burned, or this or that. We have these conscripting, uh, confining energetics that are often determining how we're going to be able to be intuitive or not. And we need to go in ourselves deeply to decide we want that to be different in order to find the tools, I think, to break out of those prisons. And it is possible. I, I see clients change every day. And when they couldn't see, now they can see. That's wonderful. And I think one of the reasons I really would love to discover that answer, at least for people listening, is because there's so much external stimuli, I think, that it, the people are being bombarded with. I mean, you talked at the beginning of the show that people are being herded. And I think a lot of it has to do with the media, with the government, with the peer pressure that's coming in for their own groups and people that they work with. But it's like, you know, if you have access and listen to that inner voice and you have a clear uh, connection with that inner voice, I think that would be the most truthful uh, new stream you could possibly have. I mean, I'm sure that that inner voice is not influenced by advertising dollars or by, you know, lobbyists or anything like that. So it would probably be wonderful to get pure information. And I know that um, I appreciate the time you're with us. We'd like to just ask you one more question. And that is, what are two things that people can do today to rapidly increase their happiness and rapidly increase their congruence and alignment to their destiny for which they came here to fulfill? So I think one is very simple, and it recognizes that each chakra, these energy bodies, have two wheels. There's an outer wheel that's programmed with all the tribal survival mentality and old soul stuff and subconscious. It's really old. We're tired of that stuff. The inner wheel holds whatever you want to call your light, and it mixes with the light of the oneness or the absolute. The strongest chakra for most people is the heart. It emanates the strongest electromagnetic activity, magnetic field, this and that and the other thing. So what I like to tell people to do, especially if they're super busy and they're not going to take an hour to meditate, hey, you know what? I don't take an hour to meditate every day. So I ask them to bring their sense of self, their consciousness into the inner wheel inside of the septum of their heart chakra and just get used to being from there like and start to express from there. 
after a while, you're going to notice that you're actually sending the light of who you are and the song of who you are out through and beyond that inner wheel. You're going to start radiating. That joy is being who you are. Joy is being at one with the oneness. And joy is like not hiding it. So speak from there. Think from there. Talk from there. It can be a little uncomfortable at first. Radiate from there because it's also going to give you protection. Think of it. The sun when it sends those beams out, you know, into the sky, ain't nothing going to get in to hurt the sun. It's not going to happen. It's going to burn out in the, you know, in the orbit. So that's the easiest, most effective technique for bringing yourself into the state of joy and having it be meaningful. And then you begin to get uh, intuitive flashes. I think the second thing is pick a horse and ride it. Like if you really want to work on your physical intuition or your spiritual intuition or your verbal or your visual, start practicing it. Like most people really want the cool pictures. So you know what? Practice it. Sit down, close your eyes and ask yourself, when I go to the grocery store, which fruit am I supposed to buy? And just picture it. If you can't get a picture, then look at a piece of fruit, right? And then memorize what it looks like bring that image into you, close your eyes and visualize it. So there is a certain amount of convincing yourself that you really mean it, that you really want to use your intuition. So pick a horse and start practicing with it. Cindy Dell, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Loved your insight. Great tips, great advice to help us along our evolution. You can learn more about Cindy by going to her website at cindydale.com and at c-y-n-d-i-d-a-l-e.com you can also check out some of her many books the subtle body practice manual the lumen's complete body book of chakras energy healing for trauma so a lot of wonderful books and also the subtle body encyclopedia for your energetic anatomy Thank you so much. Take care of that little arturian that you have there I will I will thank you so much Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to our terrific guest, Ms. Cindy Dale. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Tellis, and Ms. Lisa McGarity, as well as our associate producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love and beers take care and thank you so much for listening <laughs>